Hello, it's nearly Christmas, the heating is on, and following the government's lead, we are here to tell you that this is not a podcast, it is not happening, and even if it was, which it isn't, no guidelines have been broken. Welcome to the end of year special edition of It's Your Money, the Mayor Brown Sold podcast with me, Andrew Harrison, and in his Christmas jumper, not at a party, Andy Mayer. Hi, Andy. <laughs> Andrew, that's probably the best introduction you've given me and the funniest <laughs> one we've had since we've been doing this. Yes, it's gonna, it, don't worry, Andy, it'll keep getting worse. We're going to take a look back on the year in money uh, on, on this one, on the ups, the downs, the triumphs, the disasters, what they can all tell us about the future. But before that... Just a day before we're recording this, Plan B has just landed. Masks are back. Encouragement to work from home is back. Is this Boris Johnson cancelling Christmas without telling us he's cancelling Christmas? I don't think he dare cancels Christmas this year. I think Christmas is happening. I think you'll just see some restrictions that aren't restrictions being announced gradually Mm. over the next couple of weeks. But I don't think economically and politically he dares announce that Christmas is cancelled and everyone has to stay at home. It is an odd one, isn't it? Because last year we were told you can have a business meeting, but you can't have a party. And this year we're being told you can have a party, but you can't have a business meeting. So does this mean if you put party hats on at meetings, we're okay? If you come to our office, we always wear party hats so we can get away with it either (laughs) way. (laughs) So, I mean, trying to be more serious about it, Omicron has brought this on. And for one reason or another, the government is asking faster than it perhaps it did last time. Who's really in trouble here from an economic point of view? I mean, I was reading... From the City Pub Company says pints have already gone up 25p because of COVID and will go up a further 10p because of these restrictions. I mean, I am in the land of the £7 pints, Andy. I'm suffering. <laughs> I work in a building opposite two lads who run inspirational travel and the travel agents, travel consultants. Since the new restrictions and the new travel guidelines were instructed i think they thought their phones had been cut off the phones that would previously been having some inquiries have just stopped and i think the hospitality the travel industry must just look at the latest set of guidelines and be weeping well let's take that look back at 2021 then Uh, this time last year we did have the last minute christmas cancellation and if you'd said then that we'd be in a similar spot in 12 months time people probably would have jumped out the window did 2021 pan out the way you thought it was going to andy I think it's been a fascinating year. When the pandemic started, when you do the research, it says it lasts between 18 and 24 months on average. But I think we're in a situation which we didn't really, I think, think through or thought would happen. Because when we got the vaccines, we thought this was the way forward. And then you get a variant. And I think it's the variants that we're going to have to live with. We keep seeming to get different variants. So I would say last year economically has been positive, but I think there's the restrictions that have been strange for many of us and the reintroduction of face masks makes us all realise that this could be here for a number of years. From economically positive, can you expand on that? What what, what do you mean by economically positive? Because it's been hard to sort of see the wood for the trees on this. If I just look at this from a selfish point of view, that the the people's portfolios we manage, they've gone up. So if I look at that in its isolation, that if you went back to March the 23rd when we locked down, 21 months ago and if you'd have said to me during a pandemic we would have returned positive returns for the families and the people we look after I'd have possibly disagreed with you at the time so from a selfish point of view we're really pleased with what's happened with the clients portfolios the management of them and how they've gone up and how they've responded to crazy 21 months but that's just in isolation of what we do I can't say economically Mm. With the debt we've got and some of the 
bounce back loans which have been proved to be fraudulent, which will never get paid back, it's all positive. But just looking at it from a selfish Mayor Brown sort and the people we look after point yeah. of view, there's been some positive news. It was supposed to be the year of post-COVID, you know, the beginning of reconstruction, the beginning of like remaking the economy in a possibly more resilient way, building back better and all that kind of thing. How have the, the markets, you know, you talk about how the markets have responded, how has the wider economy rather responded this year? Is, is there evidence that that building back better is happening at all? I can't personally say I've seen building back better because I think when you look at it, we've got job shortages in a, a series of industries that is affecting output. And we've got certain industries that can't get staff. So that's affecting their ability to make profit and their business is set up to make a profit. They're not charity. So for some businesses who are in hospitality, in catering, who can't get the staff, they must be heartbroken after being closed in for a number of months. And then you open up and you're finding if you're a restaurant, you can't open for lunch times because you can't get the staff. That's a real issue. It's hard to see from the government's policy, obviously, that, you know, that from the beginning of the pandemic and the introduction of furlough, the government has almost been on rails. It's, you know, their, their natural instincts uh, of being tax cutters and so on has instead given way to the most socialist conservative government we, we've ever seen. Is it possible yet to discern a kind of post-COVID economic policy? I mean, Sunak's been running around talking about tax cuts. Well, I would think one of the things we're going to be talking about next year is tax rises. So I don't think tax cuts can come into it. I think I think the problem is every time we seem to go one step forward, like the latest variant has thrown everyone, and I think everyone goes, oh, what's going to happen? So suddenly you end furlough. Three months later, you've got another variant. And there, it depends not just in the UK, around Europe, they're closing nightclubs, they're sort of making you wear masks in theatre again. The two travel consultants have just said people don't want to get on a plane in a mask. They don't want to travel abroad because there's restrictions. So I think there's a lack of coherent policy worldwide. Well, we had a fun experience, not this year, but last year, when we, we were looking for somewhere to go and went to Turkey thinking that, well, the cases are kind of OK and tolerable. And after we'd go back, we discovered that certain people had been fiddling the figures and that uh, it was nowhere near what we thought it was. Going back to the FTSE, which you just mentioned a minute ago, we just saw a big dip this week when Omicron appeared. And you are, are, as regular listeners and clients know, a big advocate of the long-term view and a big advocate of ignoring short-term blips. Do you think that this is a short-term blip or are we going to have to look at the fact that, as you say, variants are going to keep coming? We'll have to budget into our future analysis of the FTSE that every six months or so there'll be a visible downtick because of the yeah. new variant. Yeah, we're going to... The FTSE over the years depending on which day of the week you want to look up, at about 11 and the Dow is up about 16 to 18%. So you are going to have dips. Ironically, when you get the dips, that's the time if you've got some spare money to increase the direct debit to throw a little bit more money in. But we are going to get huge dips because six months, well, probably three to six months ago, airline industries were looking more robust. Mm -hmm. Now this has made everyone go, I don't want to travel again. So, but what you will get in every cycle like this, you'll get some winners and losers. So there will be people when the markets drop, there'll be certain industries and certain sectors which will struggle, yet we'll continue to look at healthcare and tech, which are both probably overpriced, still continue to do well. Yeah, tell us about that. I mean, you, put, you pointed out that tech and healthcare have done especially well on, on the FTSE particular. I mean, it's like, it seems unsurprising because the entire pandemic has been a technology and a health issue and the interaction between the two. But do you think it's going to have longer term significance? I mean, that as we perhaps 
as the pandemic changes to be endemic, that we will always be dealing with COVID, and that therefore, you know, tech companies and health companies are going to be more central to not just the financial economy, but also to to our lives. I think when you look at the US market, the tech and the healthcare, and you look at the UK, they're now fundamentally part of an economy because I think you're looking at jabs once, twice, three times a year. So that's going to come from the healthcare companies. And how many people are going to go back to the five-day week traveling, whether it's into London or New York or Birmingham? A lot of people are doing a three, two, three days at home, two days in the office. So that means the Zooms, the WebExes, the Teams are going to continue to grow and people are going to look at working from home because I think Johnson's now encouraged everyone to work from home again. So companies can't budget and plan if you're saying to everyone, come back to the office five days a week, we'll take on a huge office, when suddenly you're going to keep getting more restrictions. So I think an awful lot of companies like the tech are going to continue to do very well, but they're not priced cheaply. And that is one of the risks of the market for next year, that a lot of the areas look expensive. That thing of working from home is, the comparison is interesting because the first time around, a lot of the people are places like, oh, this is exciting, work from home, so exciting. And then this week, we get work from home (laughs) encouraged again. And everybody was crestfallen because they actually quite like being in the office and talking to each other. And it's, it's, you know, changes your day and you feel like you've gone to a a different mental place. And now the idea of like sitting at home in your slippers with your Zoom background again. I realise this is not everybody's working experience. Some people have real jobs that don't involve making podcasts. (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like you want to be in you want to be with people we were very fortunate with our offices from the moment the pandemic happened all four of us in the office said we wanted to come to work because we had a big enough office yeah. and it allowed us to collaborate and it also gave us a normality I, I feel for people who've been at home for 18 months and I think when people are now being told to work from home and employers are worried about bringing people into an office there will be crestfallen people who've liked getting up getting yeah. out, having a coffee on the way to work, or just being in an office with people and being social and not looking at the same four walls for 24 hours, seven days a week. I think I mentioned this in one of the earlier podcasts that we did. A mate of mine who works for a company I won't name said he was really looking forward to getting back into the office for a rest. Because it's, <laughs> because when you're at home, there's always somebody on it. You, will, you, will you make the tea? Will you take the dog out? Will you look after the... You know, he's like, oh, I'll go to the office and just unwind kind of thing. But I think... We've forgotten that as as a race, we're social people. We want to interact. And when you go to work, you'll learn things from other people. You can, it gives you a change of stimulus, a change of surrounds. And I know for us as an office, we felt very fortunate. We were able, because of how the offices were, Mm. come to work. Well, zooming out from that micro level to the the more macro level, in terms of recovery, because, well, I mean, firstly, would you say Britain's recovery has been a good one as as it under the circumstances have you been surprised <laughs> i think the recovery when you look at the data it's uh well it's not been up there in the top you wouldn't say we were a premier league compared to the g7 if we've been honest would you i think no. what we've done i think there's been some seismic issues that maybe could have managed better but when you get a pandemic that you're not ready for maybe hindsight's an easy answer, but I I think some of the bounce back loans that will never get repaid will ultimately come back to bite all of us listening to this because we're going to have to pay it through taxes. So I think there's been some structural issues that we didn't plan well in the Western world and in a lot of the other countries. I suppose for China, it's different. They can just decide what they want to do and impose it on their people. But for democratic uh, 
countries, there will be some issues about paying back debts that have not been given out the right way. The INS data in the FT recently did say that on most measures, the UK's real economic performance during COVID lagged behind others in the G7. Can you put your finger on exactly what those structural things might be then? Where is the British economy weak in terms of these, you know, the things that are needed for recovery? Well, if you look, the more people are in work Hmm. and paying taxes, the more money the government gets. And if a company makes money, they pay corporation tax. When you've got companies who cannot open five days a week if you're a restaurant chain, and you cannot, there's a local hotel that can't open every day. If you've Hmm. got staff shortages, which are that severe, that's going to lead to a tax shortage going into HMRC. So how do we get out of that when there's less people paying tax. Why is Britain particularly worse than other European countries, or the G7 countries rather, in that respect? Yeah, there is a staff shortage thing. We'll come on to talk about that in a minute. But why have we performed behind the rest of the G7, do you think? I know we've had a few guests on this. Should we see if we can get Mr. Sunek on to see what his answer is? Because (laughs) if we can get him on, that might get some clarity. Because I think trying to get clarity of answers from any government is difficult. And I think trying to get clarity of why we're not in the Premier League of the G7 countries, even when you read the stats, it's very difficult to understand them. Because I, again, like what you've just said, you go to Turkey and think there's no infection rate. And actually, it's a huge infection rate. I think the devil will come in the detail in years to come. But I think we've the output is really struggling. And I think the way we've handed out some of the, the loans has not worked out when they initially came out. I thought it was quite a good idea. The bounce back loans, I thought furlough was a good idea. But I think possibly an amalgamation of some different ideas might have helped. So obviously that's had a big drag on us. Um, One thing that has happened is that employment has risen sharply in tandem with this staff shortage. Demand for wages is obviously inflationary. How serious is the staff shortage issue for our economy? And and it, how related to Brexit is it? Because this is the one thing that the government really doesn't want to talk about. I think this was the year that the OBR determined that Brexit had caused a 4% drop in the GDP. Just twice that was caused by COVID. Is this staff shortage and the Brexit effect really the thing that makes it different for us? I think if you sat here and said Brexit and you voted for Brexit, you wouldn't agree with it. And I think if you voted to stay in Europe, you'd blame Brexit. Hmm. I think somewhere between the two, there's the answer. I think you've got COVID that turns up after a Brexit vote, where an awful lot of people who were working in the country went home to various countries around Europe and haven't been replaced. And so you could argue that the Brexit vote might not have had the impact had COVID not happened. But we're now where we are. And the real impact is that somewhere we've got certain industries that cannot get enough people. And when you sort of see a 4% drop in GDP just by Brexit, and then you're looking at the COVID impact, and with all the issues that are going on in terms of people getting jobs and then going, well, I don't want it, I'll go somewhere else, and staff shortages, there is some structural issues that it needs help to allow certain industries to get back on their feet because you can only make a profit if you've got a product that you can sell and supply. And if, you, if you're a cafe and you can't get anybody to serve your teas and coffees, you're in trouble. Well, I think one thing I've noticed this year that really stands out as different from, pre, you know, different from previous years is going out for a drink in 2021, a vastly reduced range of things on the pumps and signs everywhere saying we need staff. Yeah. 
And I realise I keep hopping on about pubs here, Andy. It's not, I don't spend my entire life in pubs, <laughs> but they are to an extent a, a bellwether of the economy, aren't they? You go out nowadays and you're thinking there's not enough staff, there's a reduced selection in restaurants, there's a reduced selection in uh, beers available, and then you look at the price and you go, when did beer become £5 a pint? When did it become £7 a pint? You go, that's really expensive. And then you stand at a bar because no one can serve you because there isn't enough bar staff. And then the people are sometimes doing a job and not the people that the company probably would have employed in the first place. They're just somebody to fill a vacancy. And I think I think there is some real issues for people trying to get output from businesses. One of my dear friends approached Northampton Jail about getting low-release people out a day pass to help in the food industry. And that's where we've got to in certain industries. It's retraining. It's a path. And, and that actually does bring us to the, to the question of, I think one of the things you mentioned before we recorded this podcast was the idea of you know the old career path, the idea that you could sort of get into a job and stay with it. We've had a, a complete disruption of every level of the economy. Does that old career path mean the same thing now? If you're in a, a business, they can just be knocked sideways by events about the blue. Yeah, I think you could have started... Four years ago, as a, you could have trained as an air pilot. You haven't worked for 18 months. You'll have to adapt, and there's going to be less people doing it. And I think, but there's also another structural change. An awful lot of people have looked at their career and gone, I don't want to do this anymore. We could look at Brexit, but I think there's an awful lot of people in the catering industry gone, why the hell do I want to be in a restaurant at 9.30, 10 o'clock at night? I can go and get a job with Deliveroo or Amazon or DPD delivering parcels and go get up at six and be home for three or four. And I think people are genuinely looking at lifestyle decisions versus money in a totally mm. new way because there are people who's we've had more people change careers and do what we'd call a hybrid retirement, use some of their pension to take a salary drop and do something less stressful with more free time than we've ever had. In the last 18 months, I've seen significant people do it because people are looking at their life going, I don't want to do that anymore. Tell us about income protection, which is one of the things that you are always very keen to talk about. How does that relate to people changing the mix of their career and the circumstances that we're in now? If you work for a big company, you often get long-term sick pay. If you move to being in a small company, they generally don't give you the benefits. All we ever say to people, and it has been something we've I've probably bored the living daylights out of people on these podcasts and when I meet them, is that with long COVID, none of us know the impact. With COVID, people are getting ill. And there's different variants. If you can pay your bills and you're ill, you're okay now. But if you've only got a minimum amount of savings, it can absolutely destroy you. But also, if it's taken you 20 years to get some savings together and one year of illness, either COVID, we're now seeing a number of cancer patients being undetected and that's going to affect their health in the future. I think it's the most underused area in the UK is protecting your income. We all protect the cars. We'll all protect our pets. We'll all protect a valuable antique or a watch or a piece of jewellery. But the one thing we often don't protect in the house is, I call it the cash cow, the person or the people who produce money on a monthly basis, but we never value ourselves. And I think it's it's something I'm going to keep droning on about because I think mm-hmm. it sort of does worry me because if you look at state benefits of £97, £98 a week if you're ill, it's not a lot to live on. And I think especially when you're saying it's £7 a pint, and I think if people are self-employed they, with no protection or if you're in a company that doesn't give you protection, you genuinely need to look at it. 
inflation does look like it's on its way back. The Bank of England is predicting that rising wage demands and the lifting of the energy price cap are going to drive inflation next year. I mean, obviously, that has huge consequences for mortgages and investments. What are you seeing happening with inflation next year after what we've experienced in 2021? We would say to people now that if your fixed rate's coming to an end soon, I think you'll be looking to get a fixed rate. I think investment inflation is going to be an issue, but as long as your investment outperforms inflation, that's key. I think mm-hmm. interest rate rises, inflation, higher taxes, overpriced markets and COVID will be the five sort of factors that we'll talk about a lot next year. But inflation is probably going to be flexible across the world as countries look to get the economies restarted. They'll allow a bit of inflation because people can spend some money and then you'll see interest rate rises, which will halt the markets, see some equity prices drop. But I think at the moment, worldwide governments are more worried trying to get the economies going and get people spending money than inflation. But it is going to be chopsy. And the rise of the energy prices over here, we've just seen how drastic that has affected energy companies and people's bills going up significantly. Has your energy supplier gone bust? Because mine has. No, my energy supplier hasn't. Ah, you know better than me, you see. <laughs> one of the, bizarrely, one of the companies who we use for venture capital trust is Octopus. Oh, and right. They have, so, and if they go, I'll be very worried. But, uh, <laughs> but again, it's one of these things. Sometimes if something's too good to be true, mm. it's too good to be true with lower prices. So I do think this is something that does need looking at, though, because yeah. there's going to be a lot of worried people. I mean, we all look at it and you can look at energy prices, but if you're looking at Mr. and Mrs. Miggins who might be old and on their own and suddenly they get a bill to say their energy supplier has gone bust, that's a worry. And I think that's where the human element needs to be looked at. So before we wrap it up then, I've got a tiny bit of what might be good news, or you may tell me it isn't. The FT reported that UK household wealth hit a record high during COVID and that house prices and pension values continued to rise and household net worth grew 8.4% to 11.2 trillion in uh, 2020, its highest level since records began in 1995. Is this necessarily a good thing? I think the house price rises, we all look at it, gold, my house is worth more, but it's not good for first-time buyers. Trying to get them on the ladder is incredibly difficult and it only becomes good news when you sell your house and downsize because ultimately my house is not an asset. It costs me money every month. So I think it's great news in some ways that we've got more equity in our house, but it's not good for the younger generation trying to get on the ladder. The increase in people's investments is quite a nice thing. But I think that stat could also be interesting when you look at where that wealth has been accumulated. And I think there'll be some people who've said, my wealth has gone down because I haven't had any savings. And I think the rise in the markets has been very good news for most of us. But the household price rise can actually cause some significant structural issues in the future in terms of your first-time buyers getting on the ladder and being stretched. So I think it's there's always a winner and a loser. But it is quite surprising after a pandemic that you look at house prices or in the middle of a pandemic going through the roof and the equity markets going through the roof. Well, just to wrap it up then, what are you expecting for 2022? I mean, does it all depend on what happens with COVID, whether Omicron turns out to be this thing that's very infectious, but you know doesn't cause such serious disease or what? I think next year, the focus for the economy will be on what they do with interest rate rises versus inflation. I think that's going to be key. I think whatever Sunak says, I think higher taxes are coming. I think it will all be linked to 
how governments in the UK and Scotland and Wales and across the world deal with the impact of how COVID is going to hit their society. I was in Ireland a few weeks ago and their structure is a lot more locked down than we are here. They have, you couldn't walk around, COVID passports in everywhere, masks. So I think it's a very interesting scenario because each country seems to be handling it differently. And that can obviously impact on how their society spends its money in terms of its leisure, but it will also depend impact on how that society's mental health is. If you had one Christmas wish to run across the economy next year, what would it be? <laughs> Just one? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a genie, Andy. If I had one wish for the economy next year, it would be to see that inflation is kept under control and that wage rises are relevant and given out to sectors of society where they needed to be handed out. I think that would be a real wish that inflation was under control and people who deserve pay rises got them and that we looked at the end of the year this time next year and said, we're on the road to a really solid recovery. We've got a roadmap and a path out of this. There you go. We wish you a sensible Christmas. <laughs> and, uh, that's the end of the podcast and the end of 2021. Andy Mayer, thanks for talking to me. What, what are your Christmas plans? I'm going to have a rest. I'm actually, I've got a holiday next week. I'm, if I get there, I'm going to New York to watch uh, New York Knicks play. And then an old friend of ours, my friend from Derby, Tim Lascelles and I, and a mate from Stratford, Gary, are going to watch the Toronto Raptors who is coached by Nick Nurse, who was an ex-Derby Storm basketball player. So we're going to go and hook up with an ex-colleague from our basketball days who's now a world champion and go and watch them play against Brooklyn Nets. So if I get to New York, I'll be very excited. And then over Christmas, I'm going to do what everyone else is going to do, rest and get some sleep. I'm going to be doing the latter. I'm going to be laying off the basketball. I think I'll walk along the canal a bit, but as, but as much as I get. Andy, happy Christmas. Thanks for talking to me throughout the year. And to you, Andrew. It's been a pleasure. What have we got coming up next time? Early in January, COVID depending and illness depending, we've got Dan Kemp and Mike Coop from Morning Stars. These are in our industry the the Nick Nurses of the Toronto Raptors, or <laughs> or the Pep Guardiola's of football. These are two of the that, greatest. That I can understand. Yes, okay. Yeah, the greatest analysts and greatest investment people in our industry in the UK. So if, if we can get them on, which we're planning to. It would be amazing, but obviously it's COVID depending on illnesses and restrictions. There we go. Terms and conditions may apply. Well, listen, <laughs> don't forget to follow the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcast or whatever your choice of platform is so you get that next edition as soon as it comes out. In the meantime, happy Christmas from me. Happy Christmas from Andy. Happy Christmas to you, Andrew, and happy Christmas to everyone. And I wish everyone a healthy 2022. I agree. Don't forget to spend those book tokens you get for Christmas. They depend on you not using them, you know. That's how they get you. <laughs> Happy Christmas, everybody. Bye.